Father, this evening I ask that we may recognize who you are and we may understand better our relationship to you. May we respond accordingly. And Lord, as a broken vessel, unable to communicate anything good, I ask that Jesus Christ may speak through me and that the Holy Spirit may fill me and may he miraculously give each listener the gift of ears that they may hear a custom-tailored message straight from the throne of heaven to their soul. We invite you to be our welcome guest here in this tent on this campus and most importantly in our hearts and minds right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Turn your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39. Tonight, I want to spend a few thoughtful moments contemplating God. And this verse will serve as our launch pad. Deuteronomy 4 verse 39. Are we there? Hey, those in the front row are there. What about those in the back? Are you there? Okay, a few of you. Deuteronomy 4, verse 39, it says, Know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart. The Bible admonishes us to consider something in our hearts. What are we to consider? That the Lord, He is in heaven above, and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. The Bible here in Deuteronomy 4 admonishes us, consider God, this one-of-a-kind God that dwells in the heavens above and the earth beneath. There is none like Him. God is a big subject. And I, want, I don't claim to be an expert in God. I don't claim to know everything about Him. Never will. But perhaps tonight we can spend a few thoughtful moments trying to wrap our puny minds around this gigantic God. Shall we try that? Let's look in Psalms now. Psalms 147. Psalm 147. It is near the end of the book of Psalms. And we will begin in verse 4. As we consider God. Psalm 147, verse 4. He, meaning God, telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our God and of great power. His understanding is infinite. I want to pause on this verse for a moment and look at verse 5 first. The Bible describes God as having great power, but more than just great power, it uses a very interesting word, a word that I particularly like. It is the word infinite. God is described with the word infinite. And why? Why can God be described as infinite? 
Well, the previous verse tells us. Verse 4, or verse 5 tells us, He is great. He is of great, uh, great power. His understanding is infinite. Why is He great? Why is He infinite? Verse 4 tells us, Because He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. I'm not an astronomer or a cosmologist, but allow me to share a little bit of science that I have learned. Many, many years ago in the distant past, in the ancient world, astronomers looked in the night sky and with their naked eye, they would try to count the number of stars in the sky. You know how many they estimated there were? Give or take about 5,000 stars. And for many hundreds, maybe thousands of years, that understanding prevailed. There are about 5,000 stars. And honestly, if we went out there with our naked eye, well, I come from, I grew up in Southern California, and if you ask me, there might be one or two stars. <laughs> but maybe out here in uh, smog-free Weimar, uh, we might see maybe a couple thousand. But of course, we realize now that many of the stars, the specks in the sky we see, they're not actually stars. They're galaxies. And once upon a time, I guess it wasn't that long ago, scientists, uh, they were interested in studying the sky. And we have this really fancy telescope. It's called the Hubble Telescope. It's floating out in space. Recently, they had a supposedly final upgrade. They upgraded pretty much every part of it. But sometime before that, I guess, they wanted to study the night sky. And so they turned that Hubble telescope and they aimed it at the darkest part of the sky and they opened that gigantic lens or mirror, whatever it is, and the shutter and gave it a long time exposure. I don't know how many hours they opened it for to let the light expose the sensor or whatever it had in there. And in the darkest part of the sky where with the naked eye we could see nothing but blackness. You know what they found? hundreds of galaxies. Not stars, galaxies. Now what galaxy are we living in today? The Milky Way, I love that name, <laughs> even though I don't drink milk. The Milky Way, very descriptive. It looks like a little flat disk that spins round and round. It's got little pinwheel arms. The diameter of the Milky Way galaxy is about 100,000 light years. Okay, light years, all right. Okay. What, what does light years mean? Well, light travels at approximately 186,000 miles per second. Okay, we got that. 186,000 miles per second. How far does light travel in a year? It's about 5.9 trillion miles in one year. Now, the number trillion, unfortunately, because of our economic crisis, we sort of think of it as, oh, that's just how much money the government spends. But a trillion is a lot. 5.9 trillion is a whole lot. And 5.9 trillion miles is one light year. And our galaxy, across the diameter, is 100 thousand light years. That's 5.9 trillion times 100,000. 
That's how big our galaxy is. And do you know how thick the Milky Way is? About a thousand light years from top to bottom. That's big. <laughs> I don't even claim to fully grasp it with my little mind, but I know it's big. Now, how many stars are there in the Milky Way? Estimations put it somewhere between 200 to 400 billion stars. And our, our galaxy is average. It's not the biggest, it's not the smallest, it's average. And so we have one galaxy, 100,000 light years across, 1,000 light years from top to bottom, two to 400 billion stars, and that's one galaxy. And in the darkest part of the night sky, there are hundreds of galaxies. Scientists ex estimate that there are over 100 billion galaxies that we know of in the known universe. And each galaxy has, they just round it and say, just hundreds of billions of stars. So okay, let's put, put this all together. We know that there are a lot of galaxies. There are a lot of stars in the galaxies. So how many stars do they expect there to be in the known universe? Well, I looked this up on the fountain of all knowledge, known as Wikipedia. So don't take this too seriously, okay? Don't take this too seriously. But um, you can go and check this out. But I found this on Wikipedia. Estimated at least 70 sextillion stars. Sextillion. Don't know what that means. But for those of you who understand scientific notation, that is 7 times 10 to the power of 22. 22 zeros after the seven. That is a lot of stars. <laughs> great is our God. And of great power. His understanding is what? Infinite. Why? He telleth the number of the stars. God knows how many there are. We don't even know how many there are. And not only that, the Bible says, He calleth them all by their names. How many of you can remember all the names of every individual you've ever met in your whole life? <laughs> I teach a class of 16 students and I can barely remember their names. God remembers the names of every single star in the universe. God is an infinite God. If God knows the names of each star, and these stars are inanimate, unfeeling, non-thinking entities, what is God's thoughts toward you? Look in verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Any of you brokenhearted here today? Any of you have wounds in your lives today? God is able to heal those wounds. He binds up the broken heart. Why? Because he is of infinite power. He calleth the stars by their names. 
Verse 6, the Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. You may feel like nobody cares about you, but God can lift you up. There may be people that persecute you and think poorly of you, falsely accuse you. Don't worry about them. God will take care of them because he is of great power. Let's look in the book of Job. Job, turn to chapter 8, if you will. The story of Job is a familiar one to all of us. Job is, a, is, is known for his ill treatment. You know the story well. He innocently suffered the consequences of a vengeful enemy. Satan, trying to get at God, let his wrath out upon Job. And throughout the course of Job's experience, God is silent. And Job is left to wrestle with his doubts, his questions, with his unhelpful friends and wife. And here at the end of the book of Job, God comes out of heaven and he asks Job a list of questions. A list of questions extending from chapter 38 all the way to chapter uh, 42, I believe, end of chapter 41. And these questions are designed to make Job feel very, very small, very, very insignificant. Let's look at a few of those questions. Job 38, verse 31. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? What are these things that God is asking about? All of these are related to the heavens, to the stars, constellations. Pleiades is a star cluster in the constellation Taurus. It is the nearest one to Earth, and it is most visible to the naked eye. And for a long time, they estimated maybe five, seven. Now they think there are nine stars that can be seen. But with technology now, they realize that there are over a thousand members that constitute Pleiades. And what's interesting, well, first of all, is that God is asking, can you bind the sweet influence of Pleiades? Job, are you able to control all those stars that make up Pleiades? No, he can't. But Pleiades, we are told, I, I found that it actually rises or it becomes visible in the springtime. And it is associated with the coming of spring. And so another way of looking at it is God is asking Job, can you keep spring from coming each year? Are you able to keep spring cold and prevent the flowers from budding and the trees from bearing their fruit? Of course, we can't. And God asks Can you loose the bands of Orion? Oh, Orion to us, interesting stars. It is known as the hunter. Three major stars make up the belt of Orion. Four of the stars constitute his body, and the Orion Nebula sticks down as the hilt of his sword or the sheath of his sword. Ellen White has interesting things to say about Orion. I'll let you look that up yourself. But can you loose the bands? The belt of Orion, the hunter in the sky, can you loosen his belt? No, we can't. And Orion is also associated with the wintertime. God is asking Job, are you able to make the winter cold? 
Are you able to prevent the frost from coming? The snow from falling? No, you can't. Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season? Now, many scholars are confused about what Maseroth is. Most simply think that it refers to the zodiac of the 12 months, the stars that correspond with the 12 months. So if that is the case, then God is asking, can you control the changing of the months and seasons one to the next to the next? John Wesley, in his commentary, believes it refers to the southern stars. God asks, can you control the stars in the south? And he asks, canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Arcturus is understood, is found in the north. Can you control the stars in the north? Arcturus, the guardian of the bear, also one of the brightest stars in the sky. God is asking Job, look in the night sky. If I could sum it up in my own words, look at the stars in the north, in the south, in the spring, in the winter. Can you control any of that? And Job is speechless. What is God trying to say? God is saying very, something very simple. I am bigger than you. I am infinitely bigger than you. But verse 33 to me is the most interesting. Verse 33 of Job 38. The Bible says, Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? In other words, God is asking, Do you know the laws that govern the heavens? The laws that keep the stars in their movements and orbits? The, the physical laws that makes the star shine. The laws of gravity. The laws of thermodynamics. The laws of nuclear forces, intermolecular, intramolecular, whatever the nature of light. All of these forces, God is asking, can you even understand? And God is saying, I wrote those laws. I control them. I not only know the stars, I not only made the stars, I govern the way they operate. And God asks, can you even set the dominion thereof on the earth? Can you even tell the influence that these heavenly bodies have on earth? God is a big God. The word is infinite. And when we look at this infinite God within this one context of the starry heavens, we are left with no choice but to ask this question. If God is that big, if God is able to deal with problems that huge, can he not deal with the problems in my life? Jesus says, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without your father's notice. He says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. It doesn't mean he just knows how many hairs you have. He numbers every one. So when number 672 falls out, he takes note of that. <laughs> he knows the numbers of your hair. The lilies of the field, they don't spin nor toil, but they are arrayed better than Solomon. 
Don't you think God can take care of us? We think our problems are so big. Just insurmountable. No one understands God, why? And we have to sit here with Job and we ask these questions to ourselves. Can we bind the sweet influence of Pleiades or lose the bands of Orion? No, we can't, but God can. So why don't we just trust God to deal with our problems? God is infinite and he can take care of our problems. And I think our response ought to be the same one that Job had. Let's look there. Job 42. Job 42, verse 1. Job 42, verse 1 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. When we recognize how big God is, how infinite he is, and how reluctant we are to trust him with our lives in every particular, when we are so reluctant to let him deal with our problems, we think that we can handle them better ourselves, and we resist surrender to Jesus. And when we come to see what God is really like, and like Job, we see now I know he can do everything. Should not our response be to repent in dust and ashes? God is infinite. But what else does that mean? We think of infinity in terms of the nature of God as his omnipotence. God can do all things. Yes, that's true. He is omniscient. He knows everything. That is true too. He's omnipresent. He sees all. Everywhere, all the time. And yes, even that is true. But you know, sometimes I feel my, I find myself sitting back and thinking, well, if God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, I sort of get this impersonal feeling or impression or picture of what God is like. Get this idea that God is infinite, so he's sitting up there and he is completely mute of feelings and emotions. I mean, he's so powerful. Emotions are associated often with weakness, with the lot of humanity. How can God possibly be emotional? But think for a moment. What does an infinite God's feelings, what are they like? To illustrate, let me share with you something I read recently. I read an article about a lady named Jill Price, who is a 40-something-year-old who lives in Southern California. And she is endowed with a rare, some call it a gift, I'll call it a rare ability. And that is she remembers everything. She has taken detailed diaries, journals of every day of her life. 
When she was a teenager, she realized that she doesn't forget. She remembers everything, so she started taking notes. And she took notes of everything about every day. What she wore, what she ate, what she saw, where she went, the people she met, everything. And for a long time, she held this inside of her. She, she didn't really let this out. But recently, she came out, and scientists are studying her case now. And I read about an interview that she had on uh, the program 2020. And the host there did something on the air, and they just pulled out random dates from her life. And then they had their journal there, and then the other major historical events, uh, and they asked her, what happened on such and such a date? And she would tell them. And not only did she tell them what happened, she would tell them where she was, where she was in her house, what she was wearing, what she was thinking, who she was with, and what went wrong that day. What she had for breakfast. She would tell them every minute detail about what happened in her life on that particular day. And in fact, they asked her one question. It was, um, I don't remember exactly the TV show. They asked, what was the first day? Do you remember the first day that, I'll just use a, a, an example. This might not be the show, but the program on the assassination of JFK. What day did that TV show air for the first time? And she sat there and she said, oh, it was such and such a day in September and such and such a year. It was the first day I went to this in the 12th grade. And the host was confused because according to the book that she was referencing, the date was wrong. She had a book, you know, some historian, some book, and she was reading it. She said, are you sure? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it didn't even cross her mind, Jill's mind, that she could be wrong. I mean, it doesn't even cross her mind. She just knows it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> and the host was confused. She's like, no, I mean, the book says that it's four days later or whatever it was. And this went on for a few minutes, and then a producer had to burst on the scene and said, we actually uh, did a little bit of research while this went on, and the book is wrong. <laughs> That's how much she remembers. And you know, some of us, we think, wow, that is a gift. That's amazing. I wish I could, I mean, man, when I take the MCAT, I wish I had that memory. <laughs> But you know something? When they ask Jill, what do you think about this? How, do, how does it make you feel? You know what she said? It's a curse. Because not only does she remember facts, details, dates, she remembers every painful emotion. And every single day in her life, she relives her divorce. She relives every breakup she has had with every man in her life. Every death of a loved one, she remembers and she feels that pain every single day. And she says, because of this gift that some people call it, she had been, she had been in chronically, chronic depression for years. So God... How does God feel? An infinite God, might I suggest, has an infinite capacity to feel.
God knows every time a child sins against Him. He can feel the pain of every child that dies. He can feel it when Satan left and he took all of the one-third of the angels with him. God, every sin that has been committed in the past as well as in the future, God feels the pangs of agony every day. That is the infinite God. He can feel what we can forget. Every time a child wanders from him, God has a capacity to feel pain far surpassing our own. Infinite pain. That is the God that we serve. But I want to transition. Keep these thoughts in mind. I want to transition now to think about Jesus. Because who is Jesus? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Get your Bible flipping fingers ready because we're going to be looking at a lot of verses right now. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. The Bible says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Verse 14, Colossians chapter 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were how many things? All, all things created. Does that mean all the stars in heaven? That's exactly what it says. All things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And verse 17, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. Friends, who is the one that created the stars? Jesus. Who is the one that names them? The one that numbers them? The one that binds up the broken hearts. The one that binds the sweet influences of Pleiades and looses the bands of Orion. It's Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he, what? Made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the express image of God. Jesus made all the worlds, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. What keeps the planets in orbit? The word of Jesus. What holds atoms positively and negatively charged together? Jesus. What makes covalent bonds possible? Jesus. What makes hydrogen bonds possible? Jesus. Electromagnetic forces, Jesus makes it happen. 
He holds all things together by the word of his power. Let's look in verse 7. Same chapter. And of the angels, he said, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? And unto the sun he saith, Thy throne, O who? O God. God says to Jesus, O God. Jesus is called God by God. Is thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hath hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of, thy gl of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Do we see a recurring theme? Jesus is God. Why? Because he created. What did he create? Everything, including all the sextillion, gazillion, Googleplex stars. <laughs> Verse 11, they shall perish. All the stars in heaven, the Milky Way galaxy, all of them, they shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. What is Paul, the author of Hebrews, saying here? Jesus is eternal. Jesus is everlasting. Jesus is creator. He changes not. He won't wear out. In other words, Jesus is the infinite God. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Hebrews 13 verse 8, familiar one to us. Jesus Christ, the same when? Yes. Yesterday, today, and forever. That's right. Jesus is the infinite God. Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. All right, we're Seventh-day Adventists. We can turn our Bibles very quickly. Let's go. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. And when the, in the Old Testament, when the word Lord is in all caps, what word is that? Yahweh, Yahweh or Jehovah. <clears throat> it says, Thus saith Je the, uh, Jehovah, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12. Isaiah 12, uh, 48, verse 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has spanned the what? The heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. The Bible even says when Jesus calls to the stars, the stars even have to stand up. Let's look in Revelation. Jehovah is the first and the last, the creator of heaven and earth. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. John on the Isle of Patmos Here's a voice behind him on the Lord's day. This actually is before that verse, but nonetheless, it is Jesus speaking to him. Verse 8, Revelation 1. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Verse 17. And when I saw him, meaning John saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. Jesus is God. 
Jesus is the infinite God. A couple quotes from the book Evangelism, page 615 and 616. In Christ is life original, unborrowed, underived. He that hath the Son hath life. The divinity of Christ is the believer's assurance of eternal life. Christ is the pre-existent, self-existent Son of God. In speaking of his pre-existent, Christ carries the mind back through dateless ages. He assures us that there never was a time when he was not in close fellowship with the eternal God. He to whose voice the Jews were then listening had been with God as one brought up with him. Last verse, or last quote. He was equal with God, infinite and omnipotent. He is the eternal, self-existent Son. That is Jesus. And that brings me to the passage in Psalm 8. We've thought about the heavens quite a bit and their relationship to God and God's relationship to them. We know the universe is a big place. There are many stars and God calls them all by name. He created them all. He holds them in place. We know those things. That's why Psalm 8 verse 3, this is what I read. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. What is man? Who are we? Pitiful specks on a rebellious planet when God has all of the universe at his fingertips. But that's not all. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and this set him over the works of thy hands. What verse is Paul quoting here? Psalm 8, verse Let's look in verse 9. But we see who? Jesus. May, who was made a little what? Lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus Christ, the one who calls the stars by names, calleth their numbers, holds them by the word of his power, becomes a man. How can that not drive us to emotion? The infinite God becomes finite man. Philippians 2, the theme for our weekend. Philippians 2, verse 5. I read, Who being, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross this is not just Jesus oh he just became a man okay this is the infinite God becoming man what if he failed this is the same one that holds the atoms together, the stars in their orbit. That Jesus became a man to die for you and for me. And beyond that, God with the infinite capacity to suffer was willing to suffer the rupture of the Godhead itself and suffer that pang of separation for you and for me. The divinity of Jesus, we read, is the believers of assurance, believers' assurance of eternal life. Jesus is God. But He is the God, the infinite God, who became a man for us. When we get a clear perspective, how can we not say with Job, I know, I know now, and I repent in dust and ashes. Jesus Christ is the God who cares for you. He is the God that binds up our broken hearts. The God who lifts up the meek, the God who can take care of the lilies of the field and the sparrows and the trees, He can take care of you. And if you don't believe that, look at the cross. Because He was willing to lose everything for you. The infinite God. I want to give my life to Jesus again. Because He is the God that I can trust the God that I can give my life to. Because if He can take care of the stars, He can take care of me. What do you say? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight, we recognize that You are a majestic and great God, infinite God. And what is man that Thou art mindful of him? We stand in awe and utter humiliation, recognizing that for us sinful humans, Jesus Christ consented to become one of us, humbled himself to be made like a servant. Father, we cannot fully understand and grasp this subject. And Lord, may we, like Job, be able to say, I repent. I give up. I give everything to you. Lord, because you have given everything for us. And Lord, tonight, as we leave from this tent, as we go on uh, in the Sabbath hours, may your presence be especially near to us. And may we especially recognize our duty, our responsibility to live for Jesus because of what he has done for us. Guide us and bless us on your Sabbath.
and be with us, each one, we pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.